I'd like to start by reading a quote for you from an author named Dorothy Sayers. She wrote in the 1930s, 40s, 50s. And this is from her book called Creed or Chaos. She's writing about England, where she lives, um, and this is what she has to say about her own country. It is fatal to imagine that everybody knows quite well what Christianity is and needs only a little encouragement to practice it. The brutal fact is that in this Christian country, Not one person in a hundred has the faintest notion what the church teaches about God or man or society or the person of Jesus Christ. Theologically, this country is at present in a state of utter chaos, established in the name of religious toleration and rapidly degenerating into flight from reason and the death of hope. Written about England in 1949. Does it sound maybe like that could apply to at least some parts of our own country in 2011? I think so. So if the message of the gospel wasn't getting to England in 1949, it certainly isn't getting there today. And is in large part lacking in our country then there's a need for that message which calls out for the need for messengers. It's kind of what we're talking about today. Ryan, our teaching elder, is in Denver having some great family time we trust. So um, I'm Ron Giese, our administrative pastor here. And if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to open up to the book of Malachi. If you don't have a Bible and want to look at one, there are some at the ends of aisles. And we'll be putting verses up on the center screen so you don't really have to have one up to you. Well, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Malachi. It's the last book of your Old Testament, by the way, so if you're trying to find it, it's not like halfway, that's like the book of Psalms, but more like four-fifths of the way through, or if you find the Gospels, it's right in front of that. And if you take notes, this is going to be your first fill-in-the-blank in your bulletin, on the back side of your bulletin. Malachi is a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So remember that the Bible is a library. It's a collection of 66 books. So I want you to think about maybe like a shelf at home in a study. One shelf. And it's got 66 books on it. That's kind of like what the Bible is. But remember this too. It's not just a shelf of 66 books. But God placed each book in the order that it's in with intentionality. There's a a systematic design to what God does. So book 13 is supposed to be in the 13th spot. After book 23, God put book 24 and had exactly that content, that that detail, that message in that spot. So as we're going to see, Malachi has several foreshadowings of the New Testament. It looks forward to things that happen that Jesus and Paul will talk about. So that's why we call it the bridge between the two testaments. It gets us ready for the New Testament. By the way, the New Testament has a bridge between old and new as well, meaning a book that functions as a bridge between the two Testaments. And he guesses as to what that book might be. Kind of whisper it to your spouse, friend, anybody. 
don't know that there's a wrong answer to that. There are four or five books that you could say. Like Hebrews is a great answer for that. Maybe Hebrews is the best answer, but the one I'm thinking about is the book of Matthew. So just like the last book of the Old Testament looks forward to the New and gives us that bridge, the first book of the New Testament looks back to the Old. There's tons of Old Testament references in Matthew. It's written for a Jewish audience, and it gets us ready for the rest of the New Testament. Each book of the Bible has an architecture to it, meaning it's got a pattern, some kind of structure to it. Now, in Bible days, they didn't use chapter headings, and they didn't use an indent key on their keyboard, so to speak. Um, so there's no like white space, big bold chapter 2, when you hit chapter 2. No paragraphs even, like I said. So what the authors did was they used words or phrases to show you that a new section is coming up in their book. I actually kind of like it better than our way of formatting things. In Malachi, and this is the next fill in the blank in your, if you're taking notes, Malachi is structured using questions. So the word there you want to write is the word questions. And he's got seven questions that Malachi is going to put in the mouths of the Israelites, actually the priests. Maybe it's things they literally said. And then Malachi is going to give answers for those. So let me give you one or two examples. If you're looking at Malachi, chapter 1 starts out with the question, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? So Malachi, or God through Malachi, is going to answer that in the next few verses. Here's a second example. Same chapter, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And I think there are actually three questions there. The first two God is posing, it's, it's that third one that forms the structure of the book. The questions that Malachi is saying, the priests are asking. So Malachi, or again, God through Malachi, is going to answer that in the next few verses. One more thing to note about Malachi before we start into this chart that I'd love to have have you fill out, again, if you like taking notes. As Malachi answers these seven questions, he's going to do so on two different levels. One we're going to call a surface level. And on this surface level, Malachi is going to talk about the failings of the priests in their duty, the things that they're supposed to be doing, things that you'd see visibly. And this is going to be in three areas. Um, You can just read through the book and you'll see these pretty evident. One is that they failed in their duty to encourage the Israelites to bring complete, whole, healthy, perfect animals for sacrifice. So, if you're an Israelite and you've got to sacrifice a lamb, the command in the Pentateuch, the law of God, was it had to be perfect. You didn't look at your lamb that had a broken leg or some kind of mangy disease and and say, oh, I'll sacrifice this to the Lord because it won't cause me any loss of income. It's very clear that at this time in Israel's history, the priests were letting people keep the best for themselves and bring sickly animals. Second, as you read through Malachi... 
the priests and the people are divorcing their wives. So it's very clear that the men are either tired of the wife they have and they just want to be in quiet, in peace, in rest, not married. Um, Don't laugh, men, or we'll think that that's you too. Or they want to find a new wife and they're attracted to somebody else. It's very clear that's happening in the book of Malachi, in the history of Israel, the people of Israel at this time. And then third, in chapter 3, we're not going to read this, but chapter 3 talks about the priests not bringing the tithes, the monetary offerings, into the temple. So really in all three areas, what we're seeing is selfishness. Um, Letting people keep the best animals, being selfish and not wanting to be married when you hit those rough times, um, or setting some money aside for selfish purposes and not for the purposes of God. But there's another level to the book of Malachi, and I'm going to borrow Ryan's words from Lord's Supper last week on Wednesday, duty and delight. If we just talked about duty, there's a deeper level in which the priests did not delight anymore in their covenant with the Lord. They didn't delight in his presence. They didn't take joy in bringing his message to the people of Israel. Now, I think we're ready for the chart that's in your bulletin. There are three pictures in Malachi that are on this deeper level that talk about the identity of the priests and the people of Israel, not so much the things that they're doing. We're going to start with what Malachi means. The name of this book, the name of this prophet means my messenger. The my being God himself talking. So it immediately, the title of the book, prompts the question, wow, who is God's messenger? Whom is it that God sends to proclaim his message to the Israelites and also to the world? So this word messenger is the first word I want you to write in if you're taking notes. So here's your first fill in the blank in the chart, the top left-hand box. The word messenger comes up again in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. So not just the title, but a verse. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1. All right, let me read it for you. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So clearly there's a messenger, messenger singular, one guy, And he comes just before the Lord himself comes, literally. If you've got a Bible, flip a page, or maybe not, to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 talks about this messenger and says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now this verse doesn't have the word messenger in it, but look at how close it is to that verse we just read in chapter 3, verse 1. They both start the same. Behold, I send. And it's the same topic. God sending a messenger before God himself comes. So I kind of want to help, I guess, embed these three pictures into your mind and heart a little bit today. So we're going to do something I think they did in Old Testament days. Uh, we're going to do some responsive stuff where I'll give a phrase and you're going to say it after me. It's not going to come up on the screens. Because in Old Testament days, they didn't have screens. Um, they didn't even have Bibles. Uh, 
Everything was by hearing, thinking and feeling, vocalizing, repeating. So you've got to pay attention here. It's not going to be a long sentence, but it'll be a short one, but you've got to listen. So I'll say it, you say it after me. You with me on this? All right, so let's try it. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Oh, wow, that was great. Now, we're going to do it three times. Now, this is not some kind of, like, yoga mantra kind of a thing. Um, they would repeat things in Old Testament days to get them embedded inside of themselves, their minds and their hearts. Uh, and sometimes you'd come across that number three, in other words, three times. Just like the angels saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. So, let's do it again. I say it, you say it. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah. Oh, good. That's great. All right. So the New Testament has a fulfillment of this. And some of you know who this is. So the New Testament tells us that this is, and here's a fill in the blank for you, John the Baptist. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, these words, If you are willing to accept it, he, Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. Now, was John the Baptist literally Elijah? No. Did Elijah literally get resurrected out of the grave? Or did the spirit of Elijah come down from heaven and like channel through John the Baptist somehow? No, no, no. A thousand times no. Uh, but in Bible days, and sometimes even in our days, we, we don't qualify things by saying John the Baptist is like Elijah. We sometimes just say, man, it's Elijah. Elijah is with us, meaning it's as if Elijah were here. He looks like Elijah. He's got the same clothing. He speaks like Elijah would have spoke. It's like he's here among us. So the title of the book and this messenger singular gets us started on this idea of a messenger in the book of Malachi. Let's look at a second picture, which at first glance doesn't look like it has to do with the idea of messenger. It looks like it's a second topic. I'm going to tell you, no, it's the same topic. The second picture we're going to read about repeatedly in Malachi is the idea of the tribe of Levi, or the Levites. So this is your next um, fill-in-the-blank in your chart. Let's read about one of the, these verses, which is in chapter 2, verse 4. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Now, who are these guys called the Levites? Well, Jacob, we're thinking way back in Genesis now, had 12 sons. One of them was Levi. So the descendants of Levi are, makes sense, the Levites. In addition, this was the one tribe of the 12 tribes that God set aside to be priests. So this is actually the next little blank. It's the second blank in that box, if you're taking notes. Levites equals priests. So if you read the Malachi, you come across Levi or Levites, you need to think, these are priests. Now, I know for many of you, if you've read your Bible, that term priest, thinking Old Testament priest, 
might be a term and a concept that is kind of repugnant to you. Why? Because you know that these guys handled animals and killed them, in your mind, maybe all day long and seven days a week. And so maybe they've got you know, blood stains under their fingernails. Maybe their hands are kind of got this reddish tint to them. And their clothes have some you know, blood stains on them. And they use fire to burn some of the animals, so they've got this stench of smoke on them. So again, you probably wouldn't want to be a priest or hang around a priest if you could travel back in time. I'm hoping this morning to paint a different picture of priest for you than that. Although much of that was true. The main task of a priest was to proclaim God's word. They would stand up and read it. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that. That was the main thing that they did. In parts of Israel's history, they couldn't do animal sacrifices. But the priests could always stand up and proclaim God's word. They would do this regularly. There'd be priests that would read God's word and there would be priests that would be in charge of the administration of the temple and even music. So think of it this way. Ryan Kelly, our teaching elder. Ron Giese, our administrative pastor. Drew, our musical worship leader. Chris or Wayne or Jerry or Bob back in the tech booth. Guess what? We'd all be priests. Because we're serving God, some of us by proclaiming, others by serving. So hopefully you're connecting the dots between Elijah, this figurative Elijah that would be to come, the messenger, and priests whose main task was read God's word and also at times explain it to people, help them. Priests were like worship leaders in a broad sense, not just music. They would say, hey, here's my hand, let me take you by the hand, show you what it means to worship God. That's my main job. And I know how that is, not because of my own wisdom, but because of the scriptures, God's word, what we call the Bible. If there's any doubt in your mind that priests are messengers, look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 7, and that will take away any doubt. For the lips of a priest, again, let's pause here. Remember, priest equals Levite. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So let's do our repeat thing again. I'll say it. You say it after me. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Of the Lord of hosts. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Who are we talking about? The priest, the Levite. That's who the messenger is. However, just like we saw with the messenger singular coming before the Lord himself comes, there's a New Testament fulfillment of this. There are priests in the New Testament, in our time and day, in the church. And who are those priests? Is it just me and Ryan and Drew and Chris and Jerry and none of you? No, it's us. So if you just want to write that two-letter word into the right on that row in the bulletin, it's us, Christians. 
one of several verses that teaches this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves are living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, not animals anymore, certainly, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, one more picture, and I think this might be my favorite one in the book of Malachi, meaning one more thing that gets repeated. It's not just in one verse in Malachi. You'll read off and on about this throughout the whole book. Let's start with the verse here, Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. We read this. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In fact, four times we'll read about God's name being great or his name being valued outside of Israel in the book of Malachi. So in your chart, if you're taking notes, I want you to write the word nations on that bottom row left-hand side. God's name is great among the nations. And here I've got to confess a mistake that I made in today's world of copying and pasting. Um, the Bible references in that bottom left-hand box are all wrong. The right ones are up here on the screen. So chapter 1, verse 11, the one I just read, that's one of the four that talk about God's name being great among the nations. So for a third and final time, I'll say a phrase, you say it. Here's the phrase. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. God's name. Now, in the Old Testament, that was Yahweh. Here as well, there's a New Testament counterpart. A look ahead of foreshadowing, which is fulfilled in the New Testament. And you might kind of guess as to what that would be. Let me read to you what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. It'll come up on the center screen. Um, if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you'll know the part, this part of the Great Commission. Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So here's your final word in your bulletin if you're taking notes. It's the same one you did a second ago or a minute ago, the word nations. Malachi, God's name is great. Yahweh is great among all nations, or it should be, if the priests are doing their job. Jesus says, God's name, the three in one, the name, singular name, one name, one God, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit should have disciples, people praising and exalting that name among all nations. So what's the basic purpose of Malachi in writing this book, or God in giving it to us? Yeah, on the surface, Malachi is there to critique the dereliction of duty that the priests are involved in. So sometimes you'll hear people teach or write about Malachi, and they'll immediately jump to, oh, they weren't paying their tithes, the animals they were bringing were defective, or they were divorcing. Yes, that's in the book. But there's a deeper level. I mean, what causes that to happen? What causes that to happen is 
a lack of identity, a loss of joy in the covenant that started with the Levites, affected the whole people of Israel, and thus affected God's message going out to the world. It's clear even in the Old Testament, God longs to have his name great among all people groups, not just Israel. So, are the messengers of the Old Testament a special class of people, the priests? Yes. Are the messengers of the New Testament of our time and day priests? Are they a special class of people, a subset within the church? Well, it's kind of a trick question because it's a yes and no. Are they priests? Yes, because we're all priests. Are the messengers a special subset within the church? No, it's all of us. So Malachi is there to show God wants his name great among the nations, and this can get sidelined on two levels. People getting drawn towards selfishness and letting that affect their actions, but there's a deeper, deeper level that causes that, and it's a loss of identity, a rejoicing, a loss of rejoicing in God's presence and his purpose for us as messengers. All right, thus endeth the sermon. But let me spend another few minutes talking about one way of many around here that we can apply this idea of the priesthood of all believers. And in the Bible, what was the main deal that the priests were supposed to do in the Old Testament? Proclaim God's word. We do classes here on Sunday mornings. We don't advertise them a lot. We don't have a full-fledged adult Sunday school program. We don't have the space for it. But there's a class starting a week from today called the ambassador class. When you think about it, ambassador is a synonym for messenger. Messenger, ambassador, herald. These are all great terms to describe what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe words like, well, salesman is certainly a horrible word. So hopefully we never try to aspire to be good salesmen. And we don't really need to aspire to be great debaters or top shelf scholars. But all of us should aspire to be messengers heralds, ambassadors. Those are Bible terms. So let's use those and focus on those and learn about what they mean. In the past, we've done the ambassador class as one class, but starting this spring in a week, we're going to split it up into three different sections. And you could actually work through all three in the, in the course of a year. So let me go through those three for you. Maybe you can't join up a week from today. It'll be at the 1045 service, by the way. But maybe this fall you could start up. Part one is going to be knowledge. Subtitle here, an accurately informed mind. Meaning an ambassador has to know what he proclaims and who it is that he represents. So this will be about God, the nature of God, how God reveals things, and the message of the gospel, what it is and what it isn't. Part two, so a different quarter or three months during the year, will be wisdom. Subtitled, A Discerning and Artful Approach. So this means, okay, I've got the message down, but part of what an ambassador does is deliver the message. So part of this would be some, maybe some practical advice on having a conversation. We all know how to have a conversation, but why is it that we struggle with having a conversation about God himself and his message, the gospel, the person and work of Jesus? So that's just a piece of that class, having a conversation with someone about spiritual things. Part three, character, a faithful and attractive manner. 
Um, I don't think it's part three that uh, Tim Ragsdale and Clint Moore are going to start next week, but this relates directly to the book of Malachi because in Malachi, this dereliction of duty, being selfish in terms of worship of God and even one's marriage, completely affected and is directly related to their ability, meaning lack thereof, to proclaim God's message. So part three of being an ambassador is, how does your life and this message you proclaim dovetail together? While I'm talking about classes, I'm kind of the administrator around here, you've got to let me have a little time to talk about some things that we do on Sunday mornings. Let me remind you of two more things we're doing, or one that we are and one that we will start doing. The ambassador class is going to be one of three core classes that we'll always do, at least every spring and fall. Summer is kind of optional. The second core class, which we've really run for a couple years now, is called the marriage class. Maybe we need to think of a more creative name, but we just always call it the marriage class. In fact, right now in a room, there's a marriage class, and at 1045, there's a marriage class. You might think that, oh, that's for newlyweds, right? That's for people in their first year of marriage. No, man, all the time we have people come out of that class 30 years married, and they'll say to us as leaders, you need to recommend that everyone takes this class that's married. So it's our hope as elders and staff that, again, maybe it won't be this fall or summer, but at some point if you're married in the next year or two, you'll take the marriage class. Every fall, every spring, I think Tim Bradley is going to teach that or have his teachers teach it every summer as well. Then this fall, we're going to start back into doing Bible books. So every fall and every spring, we'll have a book of the Bible. It might be Philippians, it might be Psalms, it might be Malachi. But every spring or, and fall, every semester, thinking school calendar here, starting in September, you'd have three things to pick from. And even this spring, you can at least pick up on the ambassador class. Uh, if you'd like to go to worship service at 9 o'clock, go to the class at 1045. There are sign-ups at the information center for the ambassador class. We just need to kind of know how many people are going to come. 